welcome here to our midweek service at Calvary Baptist Church Trihern. Also welcome uh, to uh, those uh, in tune with us always via internet and FM Signal Hymn Town. Welcome. Please open your hymnal to number 213, 213. The light of the world is Jesus. 213. <clears throat> anyone else we're thankful that we can come to the light that we can be forgiven and saved we can see the benefit the blessing of salvation and we pray that thy will be accomplished in our lives and in those that are listening we pray father for those that are listening via our internet we pray for uh, salvation for those that are lost and pray that they might find a good church to fellowship in we thank thee for those that are reading our devotionals and we pray that they would be blessed in reading them and those that are lost there would be saved as well. We pray that thy will be accomplished in our country, that our, we would see many saved within government as well as others. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem, that as they are uh, bringing in some changes there in their uh, judicial system, that uh, thy will be accomplished. We know that the need of the nation of Israel is salvation and that uh, many would be saved in these last days. Pray for the 
war in Ukraine, for the Christians in Ukraine and Russia, that they would be encouraged and strengthened, and for the many that are lost, many that are uh, being killed on the on the war front, especially in Ukraine, pray, Father, for those soldiers that they would be saved before it's too late, and for their families as well. We realize that war is messy and it's very evil, and we pray that uh, people would be, be saved in these days of grace that we have. We look forward to the soon return of Thy Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray for others that need to be here, that they would see the importance of truth, that thy will be accomplished, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And over to 259. 259. The rock that is higher than I. 47. Taken and 
and all my sorrows burn. In temptation is my strong and mighty tongue. I have all for him forsaken and all my idols turn. But my heart and now he keeps me by his power. Who all the world forsake me and sit and take me sore. Through Jesus I shall simply reach the goal. He's the lily of the valley, the bread and morning star. He's the fairest of ten thousand to my soul. He will never, never leave me, nor yet forsake me here. While I live by faith and do His blessed will. To glory, I'll see His blessed face. Wherever only light shall ever roll. He's the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star. He's the fairest of ten thousand to my soul. Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Acts. I'm going to be reading from Acts chapter 20. from verse 17 all the way down to the end of verse 38. Acts chapter 20. We'll stand please for the reading of God's word. <clears throat> Acts chapter 20 verse 17 it says, And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, Ye know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind, and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me, neither account I my life dear unto me, so that I might finish my course with joy, and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after mighty parting shall grievous woes enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, 
speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, watch and remember that by the space of three years I ceased not to warn everyone night and day with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. I have showed you all things, how that so laboring ye ought to support the weak, and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all. And they all wept sore and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him unto the ship. Our Heavenly Father, we're thankful for thy word. We're thankful again for the concern that our God has, the true God has, for the spiritual well-being of his children. Thankful that the Apostle Paul was directed to express this concern that we need to be careful, those of us that are saved, that we, we take care of looking after ourselves, our spiritual needs, that we are faithful in spending time in thy word, meditating upon thy word, praying to thee, receiving instruction from thy word, and that we're careful not to give any place to the devil, not to entertain false teaching even for a moment. We need to be convinced of the truth and we need to follow the truth. And we pray that as we look further into church, church history today, that we might understand that if we're not careful, even if we're saved, if we're not careful, we can be led astray. We can become careless and we can become ineffective as light shining in a dark place. So may thy will be accomplished. May we allow thee to direct us. We pray again for anyone that's not saved that they might see the need to repent towards thee and to trust thy Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, alone for their salvation. We pray thy will be done here. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. As we continue our study on church history, tonight's title is Advancement of False Churches. One of the things that we see in church history, even while the apostles were still on the earth, is that there was an advancement of false churches, and we see that as well. One of the things that we have heard, that maybe most of us have heard, is that if we fail to learn from history, we are bound to repeat history. So we don't learn, in history we learn of the mistakes of other people. And if we don't learn from those mistakes, we're going to, commit, we're going to continue to repeat those mistakes. In history, we also can learn the truth, and it's important to follow the truth, but the tendency of people is to gravitate downward, not upward. We have to uh, intentionally look up and move up. We need to intentionally grow. So church history begins with the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the head of every true church, and he's also the founder of every true church. There are no true churches apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. There are many churches. There were churches in Paul's day. There were churches in when Jesus addressed the seven churches in <clears throat> Revelation 2 and 3. Every true church has Jesus Christ as its founder and head. And that's important to keep that in mind. We find that while Jesus was on earth, the Pharisees and their friends, they tried to silence him. They tried to kill him on several occasions. They tried to discredit his words and his very person. And eventually they cried out, crucify him, crucify him, and he was nailed to the cross. What they didn't know is that 
they didn't get rid of Jesus. Yes, he died on that cross. He was buried. But he rose again victorious over sin and death and is alive today. And so the true gospel continues on. And true churches can still exist today. And that's important for us to understand. There are people today, and seems to be becoming more popular as we are in the last days, there are people that are convinced that there are no good churches anymore, and so they're not even going to bother to try to find one and join one. And uh, that's a sad thing that people have taken that position. They haven't gotten that position from the Bible. They've gotten that position by listening to the lies of the devil. And it's true that there are less true churches today, but there still are true churches. Uh, there was a man, he's dead now, I can't remember the year he died, but his name was Harold Camping. And Harold Camping was a man who predicted that the end of the world would come in 2011. 2011 came, he was still alive at that time, and the world didn't end. I think it was in March of 2011. So he, he revamped his numbers and pushed it back a couple of months, but the, Lord, the end still didn't come. And I think it was in 2013 he had to admit that he was wrong in his date setting. But he didn't get saved. He didn't believe in the local church. He believed that the time of local churches was done. And he preached against uh, church membership and church attendance. And uh, he had a large following. Uh, but he was lost and many people were deceived by him. But there are people today who are still believing that lie that there are no true churches today and they're making Jesus a liar because he said that the gates of hell would not prevail against his church. So there are true churches today. Yes, there are not that many and uh, sadly that, that's the case and there are some that were true and are no longer true but there still are true churches. And Christians need to be in a good local church. They need to be blessed through the fellowship that there is in the true church around the word of God and with other saints. So as we look at Acts chapter 17 as our opening verses, again, we're doing topical studies right now. So we see here that the Apostle Paul, directed by God, he wanted to encourage the elders in Ephesus one more time before he would move on. His life was coming to the end and he was not going to see them again. And so he's talking to the elders and the elders, which we said already in our other studies, that the elders are the bishops, are the pastors. And so the church in Ephesus was big enough that they had more than one pastor, more than one elder. So he called the elders of the church together and he's talking to them because it's the elders who need to keep things on the right path. We need young people in a church, but the young people are still growing if they're saved. If they're saved, they're still growing. They need to be stabilized in their walk with God. You can't build a church on young people. And if you only have old people, you're soon going to not have a church. So you need older people, you need younger people. But it's the older people, the leadership, and the older people should be in the leadership. Whether they're the pastor or the deacon or the treasurer, doesn't matter. They're still leaders because they're older. And they need to take up that position and demonstrate to the young people that God's way always works. God's way is always the way of blessing. And that's important. So the Apostle Paul here met with the elders and he reminded them of what his message was. Then he reminded them of the importance of taking heed to themselves. They needed to pay attention to what was going on in their own lives. What are they listening to? What were they following? They didn't have TVs, they didn't have internet. But there were many false teachers. The Judaizers were busy. The book of Galatians, as we are studying that, we see the Judaizers were busy in the time of the Apostle Paul. And they were quite effective in their false teaching. The Galatian believers were being 
led astray in, into believing that, that faith in Jesus Christ wasn't enough. So Paul spent that book, that letter, writing to them and encouraging them to get back on track and to believe the word of God and to believe in the God of the word. And then the Apostle Paul also reminded the saints that he had not coveted anything that they had. He wasn't jealous of what they had. He wasn't trying to rob them. He was not looking to profit off of them. They were supporting him that he could eat and sleep and so on, but he was not profiting. He didn't have a big mansion somewhere that he was funding and so on. Uh, he was a very plain man whose efforts went into the preaching of the gospel. And so that's something important too, that pastors should not be uh, rich people. They should be people who are looked after by their church, but they don't need to have a lot of fancy things. I remember in Bible school, one of the courses there, they talked about that uh, if, if, a, if a pastor couple can afford it, that they should have some fancy dishes that they can put out sometimes. I don't agree with that. I didn't then, and I still don't now. A pastor couple doesn't need to try to impress anyone. They're living off of the funds of God's people. I mean, we all need to understand whatever position we are, that God can take away our income at any time. But a pastor needs to be one who isn't flaunting wealth, isn't trying to show off and trying to impress anyone. He's a servant of God who needs to be focused on the things of God. So the first thing that we want to look at here tonight is the spread of secular Christianity. The spread of secular Christianity. As the Apostle Paul was warning the elders here, and as Jesus also talked to the church in Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2, the elders here were warned that amongst themselves there would be uh, false teachers that would come up amongst themselves. Now he's talking to the elders and he's talking to them at a time when they were not false teachers, but he's warning them that there's danger ahead. And Jesus spoke to the pastor of the church in Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2, and there was problems in his time. So that's not that many years from the time of the Apostle Paul. So the elders obviously didn't pay attention, not well enough, to what Paul was telling them. They heard him, they appreciated him, they wept when they heard that they wouldn't see him again, so they had a, a good relationship with him. It wasn't that they were anxious to get rid of him and then they could do their own thing, but they didn't pay enough attention. So secular Christianity is also known as Christendom. When you read the word Christendom, it generally refers to secular Christianity. It's not true biblical Christianity. So that's something to understand. You'll see that word in uh, different writings and so on. But in the, by the end of the fourth century, there were five major centers of Christendom. So we're not talking about true churches. There were five major centers of the secular churches. And that was in Rome, Constantinople, Antioch, Jerusalem, and Alexandria. So even in Jerusalem, by the end of the 4th century, there was problems. There were problems long before that. But by the end of the 4th century, there were false churches across those five centers. There was a nominal Christianity, not a true Christianity. Now, Jerusalem was the starting place. That's the place where the first church was established. So what we need to understand, and if you go to Israel anytime, you'll find that there are churches there. There are Catholic churches there. There are synagogues that have that there's nothing left of them. There are other synagogues as well, but there are churches there that that never were true. They're Catholic, and they're Anglican ones as well. Uh, there were some Christian, uh, but they were more Pentecostal type. I don't know if they were Christians. I didn't get to talk to them long enough, but 
they called themselves Christians. We met with some of them. And, but they were more of the Pentecostal flavor of, of uh, Christianity, probably fit more into Christendom as well. There probably are some true Christians in Israel, but there's not a lot. So that's the sad reality of the way things go over time, generally speaking. So in uh, Alexandria, that was one of the places that was busy in learning. They had a library there. They were busy in learning, but not learning the truth. I was talking with a man today, and he was asking, well, you know, universities and colleges, what, what good things are people learning there? And I said, well, nothing. Because the basis of university and college today is evolution. And uh, even though some of the universities were started by churches, it didn't take long for them to abandon anything about the Bible and to just dwell on higher learning. And higher learning without being grounded in the word of God isn't worth anything. And that's the problem. We still need people that are trained. We need people that are doctors and nurses and, and other things like that, mechanics and welders. But we don't need to be brainwashed in order to learn those things. And so that's the place where we're at today. But Alexandria was a, was a place of corruption in the 4th century. And uh, there was nothing good that came out of Alexandria. So eventually... The two main centers, everything whittled down from the five to two. The two main centers were Rome and Constantinople. And uh, Rome was where the Western, that's the Western church, which is Catholic. Constantinople was the East, and that's where the Eastern Orthodox flavoring comes from. So both of them were false religious groups, but they became the two dominant centers and two dominant places. And those two places, of course, the Roman Catholics, they have their popes, their popes, sorry, not popes. They have one pope at a time. For a while, there was two. Uh, they couldn't agree on who the pope should be, and so there was fighting amongst those two. But generally, the Roman Catholics have one pope. In the Eastern Orthodox, they have their patriarchs. And those two groups, they were not friends of each other. They couldn't get along. And they had a lot of fighting amongst themselves. And in the 5th century, they kind of had a, a... They kind of broke apart, no longer trying to try to see who's going to be the most powerful and take over the other side. And by the 11th century, they completely broke apart. They were completely separated. And as I mentioned, there was a lot of fighting between the two because amongst false religion, they have one thing in common, and that is that they hate the truth. But because of their pride, and that's what false religion is, it's built on pride, everybody has their own idea of the truth, and nobody's willing to settle on what the Bible says. And that's a very common thing to be involved in today, that few people actually are willing to submit to what the Bible says. It's not a matter, someone said that to me recently, that it depends, talking to me, they said, it depends how much you think you have to be right. And I said to that person, I said, it's not about me being right, it's about the Bible being right. And we can know what the Bible says. We don't have to shrug our shoulders and say, well, we just don't know. We can't know for sure. We can know because God wants us to know. That's why he gave us the Bible. He wants us to know. But if we're not willing to study the Bible in humility and in its context, yeah, yeah, then you won't know. And if you're willing to be brainwashed by Calvinism or whatever else, yeah, you won't know. But we can know the truth. But when we're not willing to submit to what the word of God says... Yeah, then you can't know the truth. So that's the problem in the Catholics between the East and the West. They're both false religions, both proud, and so you can't get along. 
and uh, they decided that fighting against each other and killing each other off wasn't going to work, so they might as well just go their own separate ways and try to avoid each other. So that's the corruption that was taking place as a spread of false Christianity, or secular Christianity, which is Christendom, that was spreading. And then the second thing we want to notice is the rise of Catholicism. Now if you turn your Bibles to 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 4, Catholicism has never been right. Never. And that's something we need to understand. 1 Timothy chapter 4, we start there in verse 1, it says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter time some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing to be refused, if it be received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. So there's a couple of things here that Paul was directed by God to mention here that apply to the Catholics. Well, a lot of it does, but I mean, in the Catholic religion... We have people that are giving heed to seducing spirits. Seducing is someone that, that tricks you into believing a lie that uses, um, uses deception to trick you into believing a lie. And doctrines of devils. Well, you take their purgatory, that's a doctrine of devils. You take their Mary as the mother of God, that's a doctrine of devils. And there's many other things that are doctrines of devils. They're priesthood, they're pope. And we're going to look into that a little more. But speaking lies in hypocrisy, and so the, the Catholic hierarchy demands things of the people that they don't do themselves. So speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. They have no, no love for man. And that's why in the years of the Inquisition, the Dark Ages... They would murder many people because they didn't care about life. They just cared about power. Then in verse 3, it says forbidding to marry. Well, that's the Catholics. If you're a Catholic priest, you can't marry. That's forbidden. And commanding to abstain from meats. Well, for years, the Catholics said you can't eat meat on Fridays. You can eat fish. Somehow they didn't call fish meat. I don't know. They, that's, again, that's their hypocrisy. But you couldn't eat meat on Friday. So Paul here is speaking prophetically of the Catholic religion. And, and God says that the meat was created by God and to be received with thanksgiving. Noah was told to eat meat. So anybody that wants to take and support vegetarianism from the Bible is, is lying and is deceived. You can't support it from the Bible. Meat should be part of our diet. doesn't have to be, and I don't believe it should be, just meat. Because the disciples didn't just eat meat. Jesus didn't just eat meat. Nobody in the Bible just ate meat. And uh, so there's nothing that, that should suggest to us that we should only be eating meat. And again, the Bible is not a dietary manual. But we need to use our brains. And God gave us grain and he gave us other things to eat. So we need to use these things properly. So the rise of Catholicism is the roots of it are, are spoken of here in 1 Timothy chapter 4. And they're going to mention a couple of names here that Leo I, now we're going to go back a little later on, but right now Leo I was from, he lived from 440 A.D. to 461 A.D., or at least he was the pope from that time. I shouldn't say he lived then, but he was the, he was the first pope of Rome. So up until that time, they didn't have a pope. But as the Catholic religion was growing, they developed the false idea that they needed to have a pope. 
And he declared himself to be the Lord of the whole church. So again, that's universal church doctrine. That the Catholics are the only true religion in their minds. And he was the Lord of the whole church. He promoted the, the uh, exclusive universal papacy of the, pa- the Pope being in charge of everything. And he warned the people of opposing his authority was a sure way to go to hell. So that's a man that had elevated himself way above where he should be. The warning the Bible gives is when we reject what God says. That's the ticket to hell. Not what some man says. And especially a heretic. And of course he advocated as well the death penalty for heresy. But heresy again was defined by the Catholics, not by the Bible. A heretic in the Bible is someone who rejects God and rejects Jesus Christ. That's a heretic. But with the Catholics, a heretic is someone who rejects Catholic dogma. So during the time of Leo I, we had a council, the Council of Chalcedonia, or Chalcedon, I should say, the Council of Chalcedon, C-H-A-L-C-E-D-O-N, that was held in 451 A.D., so that's during his rule. And that council was summoned by the Roman Emperor Marcion. And that council was held in the city of Chalcedon, which was in Bithynia, which is modern Kartikoi, which is in Turkey. And the council was held from October the 8th to November of 451 A.D., And this was the fourth ecumenical council of the Catholic Church. And there were 520 bishops in attendance at this council. Now again, they use the word bishop, but they don't know what a bishop is because a bishop is a pastor, is an elder. But here in the Catholic religion, the bishop was higher than the pastor. And so there was quite a spread of heresy by this time. And it was the largest of the four councils that had been called up to that point. And the previous councils had been, or at this council, I should say, they had approved a previous council, the Council of Nicaea, which was held in 325 A.D. It also approved the Creed of Constantinople, which was in 381, which later became known as the Nicene Creed. And some of us at least have heard of the Nicene Creed. Two letters were written at that time against Nestorius. And uh, Nestorius, uh, his followers were the Nestorians. And Nestorius opposed calling Mary the mother of God. He believed that Mary should only be called the mother of Christ. He rejected the dual nature of Jesus Christ. He didn't believe that Jesus Christ was both God and man. He believed that when Jesus Christ was in the womb of Mary, he was just a human being. There was no deity there. So, of course, he was a heretic, but so were the Catholics. It's just another form of heresy. So, the, uh, at the Council of Chalcedon, the bishops, keep in mind there's 520 bishops there, and the bishops at that meeting, they cried out, Peter speaks in Leo. So they claimed that when Leo was speaking, the first pope, when he was speaking, that it was actually Peter speaking. Now, Peter had some things to learn when he was alive, but to, to suggest that Peter would have agreed with Leo when Peter was not alive to defend himself that's not good but there are a lot of false religions that claim that God is backing them up even though they're teaching lies the charismatics do that they claim that their speaking in tongues is the gift of the Holy Spirit the baptism of the Holy Spirit and many other heresies that's not a good thing to do 
But that's what they believed. That's how corrupted they were. Gregory the Great came in 590 to 604, and he solidified the papacy. So the papacy, remember, started under Leo, and uh, Gregory the Great, he, he made it more firm that the papacy is the way to go, and uh, <clears throat> they claimed to be infallible at that time. And they still do today. The popes claim to be infallible. Um, they've been proven to be liars many times, but they claim to be infallible. And then after him came Pope Theodore, 642 to 649, another corrupt individual who took the name Pontiff. The name Pontiff means bridge builder. <laughs> And uh, the bridge that he was building was the bridge to hell. And his claim doesn't come from the Bible. If you go to John chapter 14, because he claimed that he was the one that had the, the power to lead a person from this life to the afterlife. But in John chapter 14... And verse 6, we see there, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Now, Jesus Christ is not a bridge builder. That's important that we understand that. Jesus Christ is the Savior. And the way of salvation is through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's through trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. That's the way to heaven. And so he got his title, Pontiff, he took that title from the Roman emperor. And the Roman emperor claimed to be Pontifex Maximus. So he claimed to be the bridge builder. Because the Roman emperor took upon, as we've said about many false religions back then, the, the leaders, whether it's the pharaoh, in this case the emperor claimed to be a god. And so the emperor claimed that in his position as the high priest of the Roman religion, he claimed to be the bridge builder connecting this life to the next life. So the popes, they took that title because they wanted that position. And over time, as we see in our third point, the union of church and state, we see that the church took authority over the state. Now, the Bible teaches, and we've said this before, the Bible teaches a theocracy. The Bible starts off, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And God establishes himself as the authority over man. And so, that's how it should be. And the Roman Catholic system decided that God wasn't their God. They had a God. They had a Jesus, but not the true Jesus. And they developed a false teaching where they, the church, the Catholic church, took control of the state. And there have been times in church history that where the popes would force the head of state to bow before them in order for them to be forgiven. The Catholic religion took on great power because people said they weren't willing to say no. And as the Catholic religion gained power, it put people in fear because they took the authority to kill people if you didn't agree to Catholic dogma. But in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 17, speaking of Jesus there, it says, And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. So in reality, Jesus Christ is the head, not the Pope, not the pastor of the local church. Jesus Christ is the head. So the Catholics, they took upon themselves great power... And because of ignorance, 
because of ignorance, the, the, the kings and the emperors feared the popes. Because the popes, they had no way to prove it, but they claimed to be the voice of God to man. They couldn't prove it. I mean, as I mentioned already, the, the Roman emperors, they believed they were the high priest. They believed they had the, the ticket to giving man the way from this life into the next life. And yet, somehow, they were willing to allow the popes to take that away from them. Neither one of them had that power. But they allowed the popes to take that so-called power away from them. And the popes became the official and powerful individual. In countries where Catholicism <clears throat> holds the supremacy, that's how they have governed for years. Canada, <clears throat> at this point, we have a prime minister who is part Catholic, part Muslim, part Hindu, you name it, that's what he is. Anything except evangelical Christian. He says that evangelical Christians are his biggest problem. <clears throat> but the Muslims and the Catholics have a lot in common. In fact, there are suggestions that the Catholics are the ones who developed the Islamic religion. And when you look at the Catholic religion, it comes from Babylon... So it's not a far stretch, really, to look at, at them and you look at their history and to see that, yeah, there is a lot of common ground between the Catholics and the Muslims. I mean, in the years of the Inquisition, the Catholics would, would torture people to try to get a confession out of them. They would cut the tongues out of people who wouldn't stop speaking about Jesus. They would cut the heart out of people while they were still alive. They were cruel, vicious people. They still are today. They just can't get away with it, at least in North America. But they're still cruel people, wicked people. And that's something that needs to be said. You know, there's too much uh, mamby-pamby Christianity out there that we're so scared of offending someone that we don't say anything uh, true about them. And it's not a matter of hating the Catholic people, but we have every right and every responsibility to hate that religion. It's a wicked religion. And the psalmist <laughs> says that because of his love for God's word, he hated every evil way. And that should be the testimony of every true Christian. So there's nothing that we should look at Catholics and say, well, you know, we can learn from that and we can adopt that and we can get along with that. No, we can't. There's nothing there that's of any value. And yes, there will be Catholics that will be offended if you tell them the truth, but better to tell them the truth and give them the opportunity to be saved than to lie to them and keep them in darkness and sin against God. So... <clears throat> As we look at the spread of false religion, one of the things that even in, in politics, there's a party in Canada that you may have heard of that's called the Christian Heritage Party. The Christian Heritage Party is not a Christian party. They were founded by Catholics and non-Catholics, mostly Reformed. And uh, they demand that anybody that runs for them, just like in any party, anybody that runs for the Christian Heritage Party is not allowed to debate theological differences with other par members of that party. You're supposed to set aside your theological differences and work on that which you agree on. Well, a true Christian, again, could not be a part of that party. I've spoken to the leaders of that party when we were living in Ontario, and uh, I asked them, I, in fact, I told them, I said, you should take the name Christian out of your party because you're not a Christian party. And I told them why. 
Well, they didn't like that, and they've kept it, obviously. They still call them Sat today. And there are people today who are deceived into thinking, I'm going to vote for that party because they're a Christian party. They're not Christian. There's nothing Christian about them. They're an evil party. They're deceptive in taking that name and not being true Christians. So when you look at uh, our system today, one of the things that we need to understand is that this corruption has been going on for a long time. Now, just a little more history on Constantine himself. Constantine was the emperor of Rome in the, the 300s AD. He became the emperor in 306. His father, Constantius, and he, they were fighting the Picts, P-I-C-T-S, in England. I didn't look up who the Picts were, but they were fighting them, and Constantine's father was killed in York, in England, in 306. And the legions, that's the soldiers, the leaders of the soldiers, there, right there on the battlefield, they declared Constantine Augustus, which is his full name, they declared him as the emperor right there on the battlefield because a, a nation needs an emperor, needs a leader. And Rome had emperors. So, but there was another man that was, um, Diet, Diocletian had already retired, but Max, Maxentius, M-A-X-E-N-T-I-U-S, was the leader of the West. And so there was still this friction in the 300s. Remember, it was in the 5th century when the West and the East divided. And it was in the 11th century when they made a complete division. So back in the 300s, there was still this battle going on between the East and the West. Plus, they're fighting against England. And, of course, the Catholics, for a number of years, they controlled England. <clears throat> Bloody Mary was one of the famous... Catholic queens of England, very vicious, evil woman. That's why she's called Bloody Mary. She put a lot of non-Catholics to death. But um, this uh, Max Maxentius at the Mil Mil Milvian Bridge in Rome, as they were crossing that bridge, uh, Maxentius fell into the water. And, of course, he had his armor on because he's a soldier. And he drowned. So now Constantine is the absolute ruler of Rome. And in, uh, in that battle, or just prior to that battle with Maxentius, uh, um, Constantine is supposed to have had a vision or a dream. And in that dream... He's supposed to have seen an image with the writing in hoc sigmo vences, which means in this sign, conquer. So based on that, that vision or dream that he had, because Max, Maxentius drowned in the water and Constantine won, therefore that he took that vision or dream to be of God. Now, it was of a God, but not of God. In 311, he ordered the halt to all Christian, in quotation marks, persecution. And in 313, he granted religious liberty to all Christians. So again, that's Catholic. In 326, he brought the church and the state into union. He brought them together. He had that power back at that time. And so <clears throat> that's the problem that we have in early church history. Now, one of the things that drove the popes was the love of power and the love of money. And what Constantine did is he made the churches rich. He had the power of the empire 
So he had lots of money at his disposal because the people paid taxes. And so he made the churches rich. And when you go in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6, you see the danger that there is when we can be bought. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 9, it says, But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So the churches of that time, they were willing to be bought off by Constantine, the emperor. They were willing to allow themselves to be made rich by him. But what happens when somebody else makes you rich? You become subservient to that person. You become their slave. What have we got in our world right now? What have we had all of my lifetime? Churches in North America, in communist countries, the churches had to register with the state. But in Canada, we are supposed to be a free country. But in my whole lifetime, churches have been registered with the, with the state. What happens when you do that? And why did they do that? Well, they did that because they wanted to be able to give out tax receipts and they had to be registered with the government as a charitable organization and then they could give out tax receipts and so the people that gave to the church would get some of that money back from the government. So the government bought the churches and so many churches today are subservient to the government. They want that charitable status because they know they need money. And they need lots of money. And they know that people aren't generally going to give unless there's something in it for them. When the Bible teaches us that we give to the Lord because we love him, and there is something in it for us, when we give to the church, we are giving to the work of God so that the gospel can be spread. That's what we're doing. And so, but today that's not enough. It's not enough that the gospel is spread. We need to have something more. And so that's why many churches today are powerless. They don't speak up when there's trouble. They don't speak up the last three years. They haven't been willing to speak up because they're scared of losing their charitable status. So they're tiptoeing around the evil that our government is involved in. Don't want to speak too loud. We don't want to rock the boat. Because after all, we need to keep our charitable status. And that's a problem. And there are people that, that they won't give to a church unless they have that charitable status because they claim they need that tax break at the end of the year. Well, the end is coming and the Lord is the judge. And many people will find out that they were wrong in their thinking. And it's important for us to teach people the truth that the Christian needs to give to the work of the Lord. 10% belongs to God. And besides that, offerings as the Lord blesses. But you don't give because you're going to get something back, something monetary back. You give because you love the Lord. That's the motivation. And you trust the Lord to use that money for his glory. And yes, the church is accountable. And so if, uh, if a pastor is all of a sudden driving around in a fancy new car, whatever the new fancy cars are, I don't even know the names of them anymore, but you see him driving around that way and buy himself a big fancy house and dressing fancy and all that kind of stuff, well, yeah, there's a problem there. But that doesn't mean that all churches are corrupt. So that's something that we need to keep in mind that true churches are the house of God the pillar and ground of the truth they are very important they always have been Jesus Christ is the head of them and corruption is part of church history but doesn't mean that all churches are corrupt so we see in this lesson today how that the corrupt the 
Christendom, the secular Christianity spread. And we'll look further at church history yet, but uh, we need to be careful, just as Paul said to the elders in, in Ephesus, we need to be careful. We need to see the importance of absolute truth. We cannot bend the truth. The truth is the truth, and we must hold to the truth. And that's our only safeguard. Salvation, yes, but once we're saved, we need to guard ourselves that we hold to the truth and not entertain the lies. We need to help people to see the importance of truth and walking in the truth to know God's blessing in their lives as well. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for thy word. We're thankful for the truthfulness of thy word that we can build upon the truth as we can see in church history that the devil has been attacking the truth ever since Adam and Eve. But in the New Testament era that we're living in, the devil has been attacking the truth and there have been, there still are many false churches today. And we need to understand that. And we need to understand that we can identify a true church by thy word. And we need to identify ourselves with the truth. We need to be truthful. We need to know thyself and thy son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as our God and Savior. And we need to follow thee and honor thee. And speak the truth boldly and with love. Seeking to help lost people to know the truth to know the way of forgiveness. So may thy will be accomplished as we study thy word and look at church history. We pray for those today that are caught up in deception and lies, that they might wake up and see the need to <coughs> repent towards thee and to trust in thy Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, for their salvation. That they might want to know thy peace now while there's still opportunity. So may thy will be accomplished. May we glorify thee and serve thee faithfully. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.